At this time, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, uh, take the one out in front of you. Our reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. Again, Mark, chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious swall came, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last time I, I preached on this passage, we were in a series through the Gospel of Mark, and it was on Sunday, March 15th, 2020. It was the first Sunday of the initial pandemic lockdown, and so I did something that I often do when a day is notable on a Sunday, is I, I put a little word just to remind me of that moment in the file name of the sermon that, that I wrote that Sunday, so that I could look back and, and see it, and I wrote coronavirus because I just assumed that a couple of years would go by and I'd look back and I'd see that little file there in all of my sermons and I would say, oh yeah, I remember that Sunday. That was a crazy day. Well, over two years later, some of you are laughing. I don't think any of us are going to see coronavirus as just a crazy day. It wasn't just a blip. And I don't think that we're going to need a reminder on our computers to tell us about the year and the month that everything changed. It's not unlike our youngest son, Grayson. We have an eight-month-old, almost nine months now, and he was born on September 11th, 2021. This was 20 years after the terrorist attacks that shook our nation and world. And I didn't need to be reminded of that reality because I saw it on my calendar. I knew it because I was alive when it happened. I can't forget See, not every moment in our life is created equal, is it? And I don't mean to say that, that, that every moment isn't innately filled with purpose and God's gift of life itself, but not every moment is created equal. Some moments are more defining than others. Some moments don't actually ever fully pass, but instead they follow us for the rest of our days. And that's the case that we're going to see with the disciples in their experience with Jesus in our reading today. Today is the second Sunday in a series we're calling Be Still. We're walking through various places throughout Scripture where we hear these words communicated and God calls or invites his people to be still. And so last week, if you missed the service, we started the series by going to the most well-known place in the Bible. That's Psalm 4610, where we get these words, Be still 
and know that I am God. Why don't you say those out loud with me? Be still and know that I am God. We studied the whole context of Psalm 46 last week, and we learned that these words are not directed at us. These are not words for us, but that they are words that come from the mouth of God. And it's God speaking out at a chaotic and broken world. It's God saying, be still. And if that's true, then our calling is not to be still. Our calling is to be stilled. It's to allow God to do what only God can do. And that is to still around us the things that rob us of our peace. Things like storms. Things like storms. And we had quite a few storms happen over the course of this last week that we can imagine as we think. And so let's turn to our reading now and see where God finds himself in the midst of the storms. Our reading today is from the Gospel of Mark and it tells a a probably very familiar story to many of us. It's the story of the disciples on a boat with Jesus. Now just to, to give you a little bit of context here, Jesus had just been teaching to a crowd of people that was so large that he had to get up on a boat just off the shore on the sea of Galilee. And I am reminded of something else we talked about last week about how in biblical times the sea represented the chaos of evil and an uncontrolled world. And that's important when you think about Jesus standing on the surface of the sea teaching with authority, right? It also reminds me of another time where Jesus walks on the surface of the water, but that's a story for another day. If you don't know, the Sea of Galilee is seven miles long. It's 13 miles wide. It's the lowest sitting freshwater lake on earth, and yet it is in a basin that is surrounded by hills and mountains. And what this means is that it is a uniquely susceptible place for dangerous storms to just pop up out of nowhere. And that's exactly what happens here in our reading today. So let's, let's read through it again and do so a little bit slower. Mark 4.35. That day when the evening came, remember Jesus had just been teaching, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And so leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, if you remember, some of the disciples, several of them actually, had a background in fishing before Jesus called them as disciples to be fishers of men. And if you know that, you know that this is not the first storm that these fishermen have experienced, that, that they would know that this is a possibility on the Sea of Galilee. And if they know that it's a possibility, you know that they also know how to respond. There are some things that you do when a storm hits you on the sea. And they are not responding the same way as Jesus. Look at this, verse 38. Jesus said, Jesus was in the stern, and he was sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown. Now, I don't know what you do when you're on a ship in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the storm hits you. Has anybody else been on a ship in the middle of the Sea of Galilee when a storm hit? Anybody here? 
okay, we're all equally ignorant, okay, but we could probably make some, some assumptions here. I would imagine this is the situation where we get phrases like all hands on deck, right? Like, like that's what you do. Like you've got guys holding the sails and you've got others that are taking buckets and pouring water out of the boats and you've got others yet that are shifting the weights on the deck. And even though I'm a layman, just like the rest of us, we've not been in this situation, I'm fairly confident that sleeping is not high on the list of helpful tasks to be completing in the middle of a storm in this particular moment, which makes us question, why is Jesus sleeping, right? I mean, you might look at it with all these Sunday school ideas. It's one of the fun stories of Sunday school, right? But just get rid of that for just a second because it's a question we actually have to dig a little bit deeper into God's word to answer. We've got to look at another story, another Sunday school story that has a lot of very interesting parallels to this one. It's the story of Jonah. Do you remember Jonah? Who here remembers the story of Jonah? Show of hands. We all remember the story of Jonah, right? The big fish and all this kind of stuff. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was called by God to reach the evil people in a city known as Nineveh. This was a terrible, terribly evil place, and they were all going to perish if they were not called back to God. And so Jonah was called as the prophet to call them back, to save them, and he didn't want to go. And so he hopped on a ship, and he chose to go to the absolute opposite side of the Mediterranean Sea to a place called Tarshish. And while they were out on this ship, a storm came upon them. And and let's just read a few verses from that particular story and see how many ways this parallels the story of Jesus and the disciples in the gospel. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And then they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up! Call on your God! Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. There's so many similarities here, aren't there? So many similarities. Like Jesus, Jonah is sleeping during a storm. Like Jesus, the others on the boats are awake while Jonah is sleeping. Like Jesus, Jonah is not responding to the situation the way you would think a normal person would. And like Jesus, the authority of God himself is with Jonah to calm the storm. Verse 8. So they asked them, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, he said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from God because he had already told them. It's kind of a ridiculous story at this point, isn't it? It's like they're looking at him saying, you mean to tell us you worship the God who created the sea? 
You worship the God that brought the chaos into order and you're running away from him and you're wondering and we're wondering why this is happening to us right now. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher and so they asked Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And he says, pick me up and throw me into the ocean. Throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now here we have to pause. And kind of like an Etch-A-Sketch, I want you to kind of just shake your mind a little bit and forget everything you think you know about the story of Jonah that you learned in Sunday school. Just forget all of that for just a minute. Because what Jonah is offering to do in this particular moment is he's offering to take his own life. He's offering to take his own life. He doesn't see any other way out of the massive storm that they have found themselves in the middle of except to escape through death. This is the pit of despair and hopelessness. And it's at this point where we can relate to Jonah, can't we? We can relate to Jonah. When was the last time you felt the same way in the middle of a storm? When was the last time that something in life or in the world around you felt so intense, so painful, so hopeless that death appeared to be the only way out? Is that not how it felt this week as we all learned about the massacre in Uvalde, Texas at Robb Elementary School? This is the question that I was asking. Not just because of what happened there, but because this is the 27th school shooting in the United States, and it is only May of this year. The 27th shooting this year. And those are just, those are just naming schools where shootings have occurred. This isn't even considering the shooting at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, or the shootings that happened just outside the Bucks game in Milwaukee, or the church in California. It all poses a question to us, a very hopeless question. Is death really the only way out of this horrible storm that we seem to be facing as a country right now? It's a question that the biblical writers pose as well. If you go back to the Gospel of Mark, the disciples on the boat, they come to the same question. They came to the same conclusion that Jonah did, this point of despair. When they wake up Jesus, here's what they do. It says, the disciples woke him up and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Notice the disciples don't ask Jesus to pray. They don't ask Jesus to pick up a bucket and start, start slopping water out of the boat. The only thing they do is ask him a question that's judging his character, that's questioning how much he thinks about their life. Do you even care that the storm that we are in the middle of right now is about to kill us? And it's a question that a lot of us might ask, too, in the storms of life. When death seems like it's the only way out, where's God in the middle of that? Does God care? And knowing what you know about Jesus, 
It should sound like an audacious question, right? Does Jesus care about life? Does the one who said he came to bring abundant life care about your life? The one who has come to bring eternal life? We will see in the Gospel of Mark, just in the next chapter, you will see that Jesus will go on and heal a demon-possessed man. He will raise a little girl from the dead, and then he will go on to heal a woman who has been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. Does Jesus care? Of course Jesus cares. And he cares so much that he doesn't even entertain the question with an answer. But he does respond. And so look at the way he responds. Verse 39, Jesus gets up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Without even lifting a finger, Jesus stopped the storm itself with his voice. And in the Greek, it's a personal way that he goes and he commands the waves like you might command someone to be healed or a demon to come out of them. It, it, the, the closest example I can think of is, is, is as a parent telling their child to be quiet or to be still. But in that situation, I'm mindful that the child always has a choice. My, my eight-month-old Grayson, he's at the point now where he's crawling everywhere, right? And he's too cute and he's too young to really yell at him. So he's really not afraid of us. But he's getting to the point where he's crawling to different things in our house. Like he'll go up to an outlet, right? And of course, he sees the outlet cover. And so what does he do? <laughs> he goes to touch it. And I have to say, no, don't touch that. And I can see he looks at me and what do I see in his eyes? He can't talk yet, but I can see exactly what he's thinking. He's figuring out how far is dad from where I am? Can I touch it before he catches me? <laughs> he's, a, he's a good kid, right? But he's still thinking, am I going to respond by saying yes to the command from my parent? He has to decide. Even the most well-behaved children have to choose whether or not they're going to listen. And I compare that to Jesus, right, as he spoke to the storm, because it's not the same thing. When Jesus spoke to the storm, the storm didn't have a choice. The wind didn't slowly die down, and then Jesus looked away, and it picked back up again, right? That's not what happened. The, the rain didn't just digress into an annoying, hesitant drizzle. When Jesus said enough, it was done, it was finished. The storm and all of its threat ceased to exist. The storm didn't have a choice. It's almost as if the reason that Jesus was sleeping in the first place was not that he was indifferent to death, but that he always had his hand on the lever of the storm. And with just one pull, he turned everything off and the storm was stilled, which is great. If you're on a boat in a storm and you're Jesus, but what about the rest of us? What about the disciples? What about Jonah? What do we do when we're in the middle of a storm? Well, there's a couple of things that we learn from this 
story in the Gospels. The first one is this. Don't forget Jesus is in the boat. Don't forget Jesus is in the boat. We may not be able to control the storms around us, but do not let the despair lead you to forget that the one who can control the storm is with you. That God has not left you. Jesus is in the boat. And if he is in the boat, we have faith. God is with us. And on such a difficult week as your pastor, I want you to hear that. I want you to be reminded of that truth. God is with us. Jesus is in the boat. As a parent... I want every other parent and grandparent to know that Jesus is in the boat when you send your child to school. That he is on the school bus. That he is in the classroom. That he is in the bedroom while they sleep. That he's in their dorm room as they go off to college. Because I have to believe that to be true or I would never send my kids out ever again. And if I believe that to be true, I also have to believe That Jesus was in the boat in the moment that every single one of those precious 19 children and two adults were senselessly murdered and stepped into the storm that is death. And that Jesus met them in that place and he pulled the lever on death itself. He said, be still and invites them into eternal life with him. When Jesus was thrown overboard on the cross and into the grave for three days, like Jonah was thrown overboard into the belly of the fish, the storm of death was silenced. That's the gospel. It no longer has the power to overcome the ship of life any longer. It is finished. It has been stilled. And we have to remember that on a week like this. We have to remember that on days like today when everything around us seems to be pointing to death being the end. But while we can cling to that hope for those lives that have been lost, we also have to believe that if Jesus is in the boat with us today, right now, it also should have some implications on how we respond to the storms in the future. It has to have implications to how we respond to the storms because after all, Jesus didn't wake up in the middle of the storm and say to the disciples, well, here's the thing, guys, you're right. We're all going to drown and we're all going to die, but that's okay. I'm going to usher you into heaven. (laughs) That's not what he does, right? That's not what he does. He calms the storm. And it reminds us of our calling that as long as we're on this side of eternity, our calling and our hope in the hope of Jesus Christ is to do what he did and be a part of the calming of the storm around us as well. In the story of Jonah, Jonah's storm didn't result in his death. God sent this big fish to swallow him and three days later spit him out because God was not finished with Jonah, he had called him to bring peace and hope to a world that was perishing. And it's the same hope that the disciples would be called into on the boat on that day as well. And it was a challenge for them. 
When Jesus stopped the storm with his voice, verse 41 says this, the disciples were terrified. They were more afraid of the storm, or I'm sorry, they were more afraid of Jesus here than they were of the storm itself. They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. The disciples, after watching Jesus calm the storm, were more terrified of him than they were the storm itself. And the reason why is because when Jesus is in the boat, your response to the storm becomes faith. Your response to the storm becomes faith. And faith can be scary when we don't know what the future storms will bring, but we have faith because we know the one who holds the future. And it begs us to ask the question, am I going to continue to trust whatever the bucket is that I've been using to pour water out of this ship from sinking? Or am I going to begin to trust the presence of the one inside of this ship who controls the wind and the sea, who is inviting, inviting me into a new way of calming the storms in life? Tomorrow's Memorial Day. It's a day that we set apart as a country to honor the lives of those who've been lost in the storms of war. And at its truest heart, the heart behind this day, Memorial Day, at its best, we use this day as a somber reminder to be humbled, to be more aware of the cost of freedom. A cost that nobody wishes upon anyone and a cost that we should be praying will be a cost that becomes less, not more, in the generations to come. But at its worst, and sometimes inadvertently, days like tomorrow can also become days where we subtly glorify the storm of war. And we do that anytime we see war or weapons as the ultimate answer to peace. And it's in those moments that we have to remember that Jesus did not fight the storm with a bigger storm. He stopped it. He didn't fight the storm with a bigger storm. He stopped it. There's a difference between the two. And this is where I get way above my pay grade. I don't know specifically how or when or what we should do in order to handle the things that we're facing in our country and the horrible circumstances that we saw happen before our eyes this week that have been happening in too many places. I don't know exactly how to craft the laws that need to be crafted or how to get our polarized politicians to agree on anything, but I do know that as a Christian that we don't find peace in some of the solutions that we consider, even some of the solutions that may need to be necessary intermediary steps. For example, oftentimes when we have these kinds of things happen, there's, there's some common solutions that come up, like we need armed guards at every school, right? Well, on, on one hand, as a parent, of course, if, if my child's classroom is being threatened by someone, of course, I want someone there to stop the threat. But friends, as Christians, that's not our ultimate vision. Our vision should be a country that doesn't require an armed guard at any school or any grocery store or any church 
or any basketball game. We need to have a vision that takes us beyond being prepared to respond to a threat, to a vision that disarms the threat itself. Jesus calmed the storm to show his disciples that he didn't come to fight storms with bigger storms. He didn't come to fight war with war. He did not come to fight weapons with weapons. He came to end all of it. And ultimately he did. And he did not by living by the sword. He did by sacrificing his life. By sacrificing himself so that we might live. And anyone who has brought peace to this world in his name since that time has done so by following the same pattern as well. Sacrificing themselves for the sake of others. And I'll leave you with this. Just this past week, I saw this play out. I was, I was meeting with some pastors at a coffee shop for, for coffee, and I got there a little bit early, and so I was the first one there. I sat down, and across from me was this older gentleman. He was waiting for his wife. She was across the street at the hospital, and he was waiting to go over there and pick her up. And so I sat down, and we kind of introduced ourselves, had some small talk, and he um, was wearing this military hat. And so I asked him about it. And he told me that he flew helicopters during the Vietnam War. And I asked him about his time in service, and he told me that, that his helicopter during that time was shot down twice. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, my goodness, what did you do? Did you eject? Like, how does this, how does this work? And he said, no, I was able to land the plane. But as he was, as he was telling me the story... You could see his face visibly change and his tone change. It was very apparent to me that what he had been through had been life-altering. Like Jesus' disciples, forever being changed by the storm. This man, he didn't lose his life, but, but clearly there were others around him that did, and it changed him. And so I asked him, I said, what did you do when you retired from the military? And he told me, he said, I flew Flight for Life helicopters. For 20 years. And I said, wow, do you still do that today? He said, no, now I'm retired and all I have to worry about is sitting here and drinking my coffee and if I'm going to mow my lawn today or maybe I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> and I thanked him for sharing his story. I asked him if he was going to do anything on Memorial Day. He said, no. I said, well, sir, I want to thank you for your service. And the other pastors came and he left, and that was it. And I've been thinking about that conversation ever since then, because while this man is not a churchgoer, he made that very clear when he asked me what I did, that he's not a churchgoing person, his life reminds me of the gospel. Because after facing the death that comes from war, his response to that truth that he saw with his own two eyes was to spend the rest of his vocational days saving lives. And I thought to myself, dude, you may not go to church, but there's some common grace going on in your life. You know more about following Jesus and the pattern that that looks like than you think. Friends, I don't know exactly how we are called to begin to respond to all of the layers of evil that we live in the midst of in this world today, but I do know that the solutions as Christians 
are about disarming and calming the storm, not fighting the storms with storms. And we can't do that until we allow Jesus to calm the storm in us first. And so would you join me right now as we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for the man that I met in the coffee shop this past week. God, I pray that you bless him as he mows his lawn. God, I pray that you bless him and so many others who have made significant sacrifices, the ultimate sacrifices we remember on Memorial Day for our country. And God, I pray that you would show this man that his pattern in life in so many ways reflects the pattern you call us into, your pattern, a sacrifice in the face of war that calls us to be about preserving life, not more death. Help us all to trust that in the storms of life, you are in the boat. We pray for peace that goes beyond our understanding in the face of more senseless tragedy. God, specifically, we pray for the 19 souls that were lost, these children and the two teachers and the family of the one who took their lives. God, we lift them all up to you and we pray for peace that goes beyond our limited understanding. But God, we pray that our thoughts and prayers would not end in our fear, but instead would result in tangible changes to how we respond to the storms to come. In faith, may we be willing, as willing as you are, to give up our life, to give up our rights, to give up our comfort so that others might live. It is in your name and in your ways that we pray. Amen. <laughs>